as we seek to make disciples together, one of the things we're really trying to do is to get movement. A lot of us have been sitting in the same place for a long time, and so we get ossified, and we're trying to get people to take a step. And so we've been catching people lately taking a first uh, serve, and we really appreciate Robin and how she was a preschool leader recently, and we caught her oh, in a first serve. Way to go. Man, in any journey, the hardest step is the first step, and so love to get people making, uh, moving forward, taking a step, and uh, maybe the Lord would have you take a next step soon. Uh, recently, I was asked, uh, Smiley, what are the qualifications for an elder at Good News? And I said, well, an elder needs to be above reproach, the husband of one wife, with a good reputation both inside the church and outside the church. And then they said, well, I've got one more question. I said, what's that? And said, how did you get to be one? It is pretty funny. I'm not sure what's funnier, that I'm a Christian or that I'm a pastor. I mean, they're two of the funniest things I've ever heard in my life. And one of the reasons I love Jesus so much is that He's given me an opportunity to be a leader. No one else would. And He's given me an opportunity to be great when no one else would. And so I'm so thankful to know Jesus and for the opportunities that He's given to me and to all of us. And what we're going to look at today, the point of today's message, is that Jesus is our model for servant leadership. Would you say that with me? Jesus is our model for servant leadership. Uh, <clears throat> it's really a good idea to bring your Bible. And, and, if, and if you have your Bible, turn with me to 1 Timothy 3. And I'm going to go all over the place today, but the way I would listen to God's Word is to open it up to this. And then as I go all over the place, just follow. But, but you stay here. This is really a good passage. We've been learning about leadership. Leadership is really important. And we've learned that we need Jesus to get leadership right. That leadership begins with leading ourselves. The hardest person any of us will ever lead is ourselves. And we need Jesus to be able to lead ourselves. As we begin to lead ourselves, then, then we need Jesus to lead in our families. And then as we begin to lead in our families, we need Jesus to help us lead in his church. And all of us long for good leaders, don't we? I mean, we, we long for people who can lead themselves. We long for good leadership in our families. We long for good leadership in our church. We long for good leadership in our country. But what does good leadership look like? And this morning, we're going to have an opportunity to look at Jesus, and He is our model. Our model for what good leadership looks like. He is our model for servant leadership. So, 1 Timothy... Chapter 3, verse 1, it is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. And we unpacked that last week. An overseer. Now, see the word overseer. The New Testament was written in Greek, and that word in Greek is episcopus. Episcopus. What do you think comes from that? Episcopalian. So I want to share with you, um, whether you're interested or not, there's three kinds of church government. There's three kinds of church government. And the first form of church government is called a congregational form of church government. That's the kind of government. Now, the authority in a congregational church, where is the authority? It's in the congregation, that the congregation would decide what's, or, you know, would, would govern the church it's kind of like a democracy. And what denominations would have a congregational form of government? It's a little easy, right? The Congregationalists, 
Not so big now, but when our country was started in the Northeast, there were a lot of Congregationalists. And so Congregationalists would have a congregational form of church government. Baptists would. A lot of independent churches would have a congregational form of church government. Another form of church government would be an Episcopal form of church government. See, in an Episcopal church, they would think you have a priest, but then you would have an overseer. And the overseer, the bishop, would have a higher rank than would the priest. That's why it's a hierarchical form of church government. Priest, bishop, and so who would have an Episcopal form of church government? Come on, who? Episcopalians, right? And also Roman Catholics would and, and Methodists would. They would have this form of church government. Okay, the third form of church government would be a Presbyterian form of church government because the word presbyteros in Greek means elder. And so what a Presbyterian church would be would be a church that has a plurality, more than one elder providing the leadership of the church. So where would the authority in a Presbyterian church lie? It would, lead with, would be with the elders. It's, it's kind of like a republic. And so, who then would have a Presbyterian form of church government? Well, Presbyterians would, right? Okay. And so would Reformed churches. Maybe you've heard about the Reformed Church in America or the Christian Reformed Church. They would all have a Presbyterian form of church government. Um, Good News Church is a part of the Presbyterian Church in America. Uh, it's an evangelical denomination, and what that means is we believe that people are lost, and they need to hear the gospel to be saved. People need to be saved. And to be evangelical means we believe the Bible is God's Word, all of it. The parts we like and the parts we don't like. It's all God's Word, and, and it's our authority in all matters of our faith and practice. And what, what makes a Presbyterian church unique is we believe that there are two ongoing offices in the church. There's elders and then there's deacons. And, and elders, they serve the church by leading. And deacons, they, they lead the church by serving. So we have eight what we call ruling elders because the two things that elders do Elders rule and elders teach. So we have presently eight ruling elders who help provide authority in the church, and we have two teaching elders. But there's the office of elder, and then there's the office of deacon. And uh, when we read in verse 2, an overseer, we believe that an overseer and an elder are the same office. That's where we would differ from an Episcopalian church that would think there are different offices. The word elder means that someone is spiritually mature, that a leader in the church should be an elder. He should be spiritually mature. Well, what does an elder do? He oversees. He rules. Matter of fact, there's, there's many words for that office, right? I mean, I'm an elder. I'm a pastor. Someone might say I'm a minister. I'm a minister of the word. Uh, I rule. I teach. There are many functions to the office of elder. To help you see how elder and overseer are the same, um, in Titus chapter 1, verse 5, For this reason I left you in Crete, that you would set in order what remains and appoint Elders. Notice it's plural, right? Elders, because in a Presbyterian church, you would have a plurality of leaders. There's elders in every city, as I directed you. Namely, if any man is above reproach, the husband of one wife, having children who believe, not accused of, dis of dissipation or rebellion, for the overseer. Do you see how they're brought together? 
He, he's an elder in his maturity, in his character, but what an elder does is he oversees the church. He's a, he governs the church. The overseer must be above reproach as God's steward, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, not fond of sordid gain. This is almost identical to what we're going to read in 1 Timothy. But hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, just, devout, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching so that he will be able both to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. So elders rule and elders teach. So an elder is spoken of as an overseer and also as a teacher. We see this as well in 1 Peter. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore I exhort thee, elders. See how that's plural? The elders among you as your fellow elders. So Peter was an elder as well as an apostle, and witness of the sufferings of Christ, and a partaker also of the glory that is to be, re to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God um, among you, exercising oversight. So we have elder here, a mature person. We have shepherd. That's where the term pastor comes from, that he pastors people. And we have the word overseer here, rules over God's people. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, not for sordid game, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. You younger men likewise be subject to your elders. Man, so you come to faith in Christ? You want to keep from wrecking your life? Find a church. Submit to the leadership so you don't wreck your life and be subject to your elders and all of you. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, for God is opposed to the proud and gives grace to the humble. Um, sometimes I speak twice, I forget what I said, but did I say that there was a time where three different denominations named themselves after their church government? Did I tell you that? No? Okay. Isn't it interesting that at one time, churches were so concerned about the government in their church that three denominations named themselves after their form of self-government, something that people today don't even think about. But you had Congregationalists and Episcopalians and Presbyterians. This is the way our churches govern. All right. Now back to our passage in 1 Timothy. Uh, elder, overseer, same office, and uh, so the qualifications are kind of listed here. An overseer then must be above reproach. And I, and I think what that is, that's a broad. That's a, he must be blameless, above reproach. And then we ask the question, well, what would it look like to be above reproach? And he starts to build, to, to define what that is. The husband of one wife, he's faithful to his wife, temperate. He has self-control. He's prudent, makes wise decisions, respectable, hospitable opens his heart and home to people, able to teach. Not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money. We like to say that elders need uh, the three C's. They need three C's. They need character. Is character important? Yes, to lead. In. And then competency or skills important? Yes. And then chemistry is important, right, that we get along? And so it says here, character is important. They need to be above reproach. Uh, they, they need to be faithful to their wife. Character matters. Competency, they need to be able to teach. 
Elders need to be equipped so that they can win and build and equip and multiply disciple makers. They need competencies, and they also need chemistry. <laughs> uh, I love the word pugnacious, right? Don't you know pugnacious people? They just love a fight. Listen, you don't want leaders. Uh, you want leaders who can get along with each other. They're not pugnacious. They're, they're uh, peaceable. Hmm. Peaceable, free from the love of money. He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? Do you notice how leadership goes out in circles? The first thing a leader needs to learn how to do is to lead himself, right? And as we begin to follow Jesus and lead ourselves, then we begin to lead in our families, right? And then as we begin to lead in our families, the church is just a wider expression of the family, right? And so then we begin to lead in our, in our church. <clears throat> and not a new convert so that he will not become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. And he must have a good reputation with those outside the church so that he will not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil, one of the reasons we pray for our church leaders is because the leaders are the ones that are most in the crosshairs of the devil, right? Because if you take out the leader, you affect a lot of people. So every year I read through the Bible, and uh, every year when I read 1 Timothy 3, I take the elder test, and every year I score lower than I did in the year before. Anybody else like that in life, that every time you take a test, you score lower? Because every year I read this and say, that's not me, that's not me, that's not me. But then I recognize who it really describes. It really describes who? Jesus. I said, that, that's not me, but, but that's Jesus. You know what else I see? It's not who I am, but it's who I aspire to be. That's who I want to be. That's who our, our elders in our church, this doesn't describe them, but it does describe, it's who we want to be. And we recognize that we need Jesus to lift us to the standard. The standard's important, but we need help to get there. We need Jesus. Don't, don't we all need Jesus? There is no one in this room who needs Jesus more than I do. We all need him, don't we? Here's why we need him. In Isaiah 53, um, verse 6, it says, We all have a problem called sin. Now notice this verse, the first two lines all of us, like sheep, have gone astray. How many? So that gets us like this, right? All of us. <laughs> and, and, and then it narrows it down, right, and says what? Each of us has turned to his own way. All and each, right? What the Bible says is we all have a sin problem. None of us have led ourselves well. Every one of us has sinned. Uh, we've not led ourselves well. We've not led our families well. We've not followed God well. We've sinned. Every one of us has sinned against God, a God who's just, who must punish sin over and over again. And the Bible says what we deserve for what we've done is hell itself. Listen, that's the bad news. The first two verses, all of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And I tell you all the time, there's good butts and bad butts. And this is a great butt. You know what? We don't have to get what we deserve. We can get something so much better than what we deserve, and here's why. But the Lord, God the Father, has caused the iniquity, our sin, to fall on Him. You see, Him is Jesus. God the Son put on flesh and came to earth, and He led Himself well. He led Himself well. He led His disciples well. He followed well. He obeyed His Father in all things. And because He had never sinned, He could die in our place. 
God is just and, and God the Father put the sins of His people on Jesus and the one who had never sinned. He bore the penalty that our sins deserve. He died in our place on the cross once and for all, crying out, it is finished. He died. He died for us and He was buried. But the third day He rose from the grave. And when Jesus walked out of the grave, He proved that He had conquered sin and death. And He offers us salvation as a free gift. Do you know what salvation is? It's being saved from the guilt of our sin so that we could be forgiven of all of our sins, past, present, and future. It's to be saved from wasting our lives. A life is a terrible thing to waste. It's to be saved from wasting our eternity to do life and eternity with Jesus. You know what salvation is? It's not Jesus lowering the standard for leadership. It's Jesus moving into his people and forgiving them and then lifting us to the standard, lifting us to the standard. So how can a person be saved? In Romans 10, verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, see the word confess, the Greek word is homo logeo, and homo means the same, and logeo means to say what it means is to agree. That if you confess with your mouth, if you say, Jesus, you're Lord, I'm not. You can run my life better than me. You're wiser. You know the path to happiness better than I do. You're Lord, I'm not. That's where it begins. That if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart. Did you know in the Bible, the heart is the control center of our being? It's our mind where we think. It's our emotions where we feel, and it's our will. So it starts in the mind, our understanding of our sin, and our understanding of what Jesus did, and then it stirs our emotions. So our will is moved, and it comes out of our mouth. We confess Christ. It starts in the mind, the emotions, the will, and comes out of the mouth. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. Have you ever been saved? Wouldn't you like to be? You know, one day it'll be too late, but today it's not too late, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. That really is as simple as A, B, C. And if you've never done this, you can do that now. Or As I close in prayer, I'd be glad to assist you, but it starts when we admit, Jesus, I agree with you. I've sinned against you, and I'm sorry. And we believe, Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for my sins and rose. And then we commit to Jesus as Savior and Lord. Jesus, move in and be my Savior and forgive me and give me eternal life. I want you to be the Lord of my life. Help me be the person you want me to be. Won't you? And if you have, do you hear what it says? If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised from, from the dead, you will be saved. Jesus moves in. He says, listen, you're forgiven. I'm in charge now. And what I want to do is I want to lift you to the standard. I want to lift you up so that you too can become a servant leader. So you can lead yourself well. You can lead your family well. You can lead in the church well. I want to lift you. And Jesus becomes our model for, for servant leadership. And he gives us the Holy Spirit. He gives us the Holy Spirit to give us the desire and the power to be lifted to the standard. So let me share with you how I read the qualifications for an elder. It is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. Jesus, I want to lead like you did. I want to lead like you helped me. 
An overseer then must be above reproach. Jesus, you're above reproach. Help me to be like you. Help me to follow you. The husband of one wife. Jesus, you are faithful to your wife, the church. Lord, help me. Keep me from wrecking my life. Help me to be faithful to my wife, temperate. Lord, you are filled with self-control. Help me to be like you, temperate, prudent. Lord, you are wise. Help me to be wise like you are. You are respectable. Lord, help me to be respectable like you are. Hospitable. Lord, you're hospitable. Help me to be like you. Help me to open my heart and home to others. You're able to teach. Lord, help me to be able to teach. Give me the skills I need to win and build and equip and multiply disciples. Help. Not addicted to wine. Lord, keep me from uh, being addicted to wine or pugnacious. Oh, Lord, I enter into fights way too easily. I want to be like you. Help. Gentle. Lord, you're gentle. Help me to be gentle. Peaceable. Lord, you're peaceable. Help me to be like you. You're free from the love of money. Lord, protect me from the love of money. He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? Jesus, you lead your church so well. Help me to lead in my home the way you lead in the church. And not a new convert so that he will not become conceited and fall into the the condemnation incurred by the devil. And he must have a good reputation with those outside the church so that he will not fall into reproach in the snare of the devil. Oh, Jesus, keep me from wrecking my life. (laughs) Um, Listen, Jesus is our model for servant leadership. And what elders are, elders aspire to follow Jesus. They aspire to become servant leaders like Jesus is. Elders aspire to bring others with them. They'll say to others, come follow Jesus with me. Come and follow him with me. So that's elders. Elders serve in the church by leading. And and then we turn to the second office, which is deacons. In verse 8, deacons and And deacons lead in the church by serving. The word for deacons in Greek is diaconus, diaconus which means servant. And we might ask the question, well, where do deacons come from in the Bible? And so we'll go there in Acts chapter 6. In Acts chapter 6, verse 1, church is early. The disciples are multiplying. Verse 1, now at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number. Uh, So the disciples were multiplying. So I've got a question for you. We know what a disciple is. It's a follower of Jesus, and we want to make disciples together. So here's a question. Does the word disciples or the word Christian occur more in the Scriptures? What do you think? Do you think we read more about disciples or Christians? What do you think? Mm, Pretty good. It might surprise you. Did you know the word Christians, plural, occurs one time in the whole Bible? Did you know that? In Acts chapter 11, um, and he, being Barnabas, he left for Tarsus to look for Saul. He went to find Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for an entire year, they met with the church and taught considerable numbers. And the disciples, the followers of Jesus, were first called Christians in Antioch. Uh, So... uh, (laughs) We sometimes think that disciples are super Christians. No, no. Long before anyone was called a Christian, they were called a disciple because a a Christian is someone who says, Jesus, you're Lord and I'm not. You lead and I'll follow, right? So uh, when Christians were first called Christians, it was a term of derision. Oh, you're just little Jesus-like ones. And the church said what? We like that. We like being called little Christ-like ones. 
So the word Christians occurs once in all the scriptures. Now, the singular Christian only occurs twice in the New Testament. Isn't that amazing? Only twice. And the first is when Acts 26, Paul is uh, witnessing to King Agrippa. And Agrippa replied to Paul, in a short time, you will persuade me to be a Christian. You know what Paul says, right? He says, not just you, king. I pray that everyone who hears my voice this day would be one to Christ. So the first time Christian is used is Paul, Agrippa says, you're trying to make me a Christian. And the second one is in 1 Peter 4, where Peter is writing in 4.14, if you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed. He says, listen, if we suffer for the cause of Christ, you'll be happy, okay? Because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. I love this. And if you're going to suffer, suffer for the name of Jesus, right? And then he says, make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer. Don't murder people, right? Or thief or evildoer or a troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, if, if you suffer for the name of Christ, he's not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in this name. So Christians once, uh, Christian twice. Now I'm going to show you something. It's going to blow your mind. Disciple and disciples. Look at this. The word disciple singular is used 28 times in the New Testament. I mean, in the Bible, 28 times single. But notice disciples, 231 times. And that's why our purpose is not to make a disciple, but it's to make disciples together. Isn't it amazing that how much more the Bible refers to Christ's followers as disciples than as Christians? So. Back to our story in Acts 6. Sorry, I took a little detour. Sometimes it's fun. But we, the question I was asking was, uh, where did deacons come from? So in Acts 6, verse 1, Now at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked. They were having a hallelujah problem. The church was multiplying, and the church was filled with Hellenistic being Greek-speaking Christians and Hebrew-speaking Christians, and like us, they didn't get along. So the Hellenistic Jews were saying, the Jewish-speaking Christians are getting treated better than we have, than we are. Um, we're being overlooked because we don't speak Hebrew. So the twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples and said it is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we, we may put in the charge of this task. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. You see, the elders were uniquely gifted to, to serve the church by leading, by overseeing and teaching. And so deacons, they were established so they could lead in the church by serving. They would take care of other things so the apostles and the elders could devote themselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. The statement found approval with the whole congregation, and they chose Stephen a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. Uh, anybody notice anything interesting about those names? They're all Greek. Did you notice that? Now, there's a problem in the church that the Greek-speaking Christians are saying, we're not being treated as well as the Hebrew. So you know what the church did? 
they appointed what? All Greek-named people to have this task because they wanted to what? They wanted to eliminate the complaint that had been said, right? All Greek names. And um, notice what they did. And these they brought before the apostles, and after praying, they laid their hands on them. They were ordained as deacons, set apart for this task. And what was the result? The word of God kept on spreading. Man, when the deacons served and the elders led, the word of God kept on spreading, and the number of the disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. So... That's where deacons came from. They were set up to serve the, to lead the church by serving so that they could free up the elders to serve the church by leading. Back to 1 Timothy 3, deacons likewise must be men of dignity. And just like elders need to say, Jesus, help me. Help me to, to live up to the standard. So deacons do the same thing. Jesus, You're full of dignity. Help us to be men of dignity, not double-tongued. Jesus, you're not double-tongued. Help us not to be double-tongued or addicted to much wine. Jesus, you weren't addicted to much wine. Keep us from being uh, and not or fond of sordid gain. Lord, keep me from making money illegally like you did. But holding holding to the mystery of the faith with the clear conscience, Jesus, you held on to the truth. Help me to hold on to the truth. These men must also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons if they are beyond reproach. Women. Now notice we heard about overseers and deacons and we hear about women. We live in a culture where we continually hear about people are non-binary. And I want you to know the Bible is incredibly binary. From Genesis to Revelation, the Bible is binary, that God created mankind in his image. Male and female, he created them, right? God made us male and female for a purpose, and so the Bible addresses men, the Bible addresses women, and and that's what we see here. Women must likewise be dignified. (laughs) Jesus, you're dignified. Help us to be dignified, not malicious gossips. Do you know what the Greek word for that? It's one word, malicious gossips. It's diabolos. What word do you think we get from that? Diabolical. Do you know what diabolos means? It means to be an accuser, a slanderer. It's a name for Satan, right? Oh, man. Listen, in the church, we're in the people business, aren't we? And so we deal with people. And we need to be extremely careful the way we talk about people because when we gossip, the Bible says that we are following the model of Satan rather than the model of Jesus, the servant leader. Not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. Oh, Jesus, you're faithful in all things. Help, help us to be faithful in all things like you are. Deacons must be the husband of one wife. Jesus, you're faithful to your bride. Help. Help us to be faithful to our bride, our wife, and good managers of their children in their own households. Jesus, you are such a good leader in your church. Help us to lead in our families the way you lead in the church. Uh, For those who have served well as deacons, obtain for themselves a high standing and great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. 
So I think some of you would say, well, Smiley, I mean, I've heard about elders at Good News, but I haven't heard about deacons. Does, does our church have deacons? And, and listen, we do not presently have deacons. And you say, well, why is that? And um, well, because the office of deacon is very high, but, and, and, and let me back up. Elders are necessary in a Presbyterian church. You need to have elders. And so we have elders, and, and deacons can be helpful. But what we found happening as a church, there was a time we had deacons, but most of the work that deacons do in most churches, our small groups were doing. They were taking care of many of the needs that we had that freed our elders to devote themselves to the prayer and the ministry of the Word. And then as we begin to add different staff members, our staff does many of the things that deacons would do in churches. And so we do have elders, but we do not have deacons. But what we have learned so far is that Jesus is our model for servant leaders. And what we need is Jesus to forgive all of us, to move into us, and to lift us to the standard. <clears throat> so we're going to turn a corner now and uh, I'm going to come to our action step for the week, and what I want you to do is to descend to greatness. Uh, to descend to greatness. If, if you want to be a leader, then the way is, is to go down to descend to greatness. Matter of fact, let me show you. In verse 1, it is a trustworthy statement. If any aspires to the office of overseer, it's a fine work he desires to do. That maybe you're here and you feel the Spirit of God moving in you saying, I'd like to be a leader in the church. I'd like to be an elder. Then what we would encourage you to do is to begin to descend to greatness. And, and, and here would be the first step. Aaron talked about uh, our disciple-making groups. We would love to equip you to be a disciple-maker to equip you where you would be able to win and build and equip and multiply disciple-makers so you could be a leader and you could tell others, hey, come follow Jesus with me. So the first step is we would love an opportunity to equip you. That's the first step. And then when you finish that and become a disciple-maker, we love to walk with you through the gospel eldership. This book is so good because the standard's very high, but the gospel gives us the power to rise to the standard. And we love to walk through the gospel eldership with you. It's really good. And, and then when we finish that, we love to walk you through the Westminster Confession of Faith. We live in a culture that so desperately needs truth. And we'd love to equip you with truth so you would be a very effective worker. We'd love to walk through the, this. With, so that would be the path. Man, you could put it on your card. Hey, Smiley, I'd love to talk about being trained because I'd like my life to count. We'd love to help you walk through the map and gospel eldership and the confession. But listen, all of us have the opportunity to be great. Uh, not just the men who feel called to lead. We all have an opportunity to descend to greatness. And, and so I want to show you how to do that. Last week, uh, remember last week I, I told you about um, James and John how they asked their mom to ask for the two best seats. Remember that? But what I didn't tell you was the story before the story. Before James and John asked their mother to go ask Jesus for the two best seats in the kingdom, what had happened, Jesus is headed to Jerusalem. He's headed to the cross. Uh, anybody in here tone deaf? Like, I am, okay? So are the disciples. Um, here's what happened. Jesus said, we're headed to Jerusalem. I'm going to be betrayed and crucified and mocked and crucified, and then I'll rise on the third day. And as soon as Jesus talked about the cross, James and John 
get their mom. And they go and ask for the two best seats. You know why the, one of the reasons I believe the Bible is God's word? Because if the disciples made it up, you know what they never would have done? Is portrayed themselves so badly. I mean, come on, Jesus is talking about the cross. In the next breath, they're saying, can we have the best seats in the kingdom? So remember, last week we read from Matthew 20, so they get their mom to ask for the best seats. And uh, Matthew 20, Jesus, but Jesus called them to himself. Teachable moment, right? You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their great men exercise authority over them. He says, you know how leadership works in the world, right? You have to climb over people to get there, right? You climb over people. You step on people so you can get to the top. And when you get to the top, everybody serves you. You know what leadership is like in the world, right? But notice what he said. It is not this way among you. In the church, it's totally different. Leadership is totally different in the church. It is not this way among you, but whoever wishes to be great among you shall be your servant. So he takes the leadership pyramid and he turns it over and he says, listen, you want to be great? You want to be great? Descend to greatness. You want to be first? Descend. Go down, go down, go down. Whoever wishes to be great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. And listen, Jesus is the best leader ever because he goes first. Notice, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus gave us the model, right? Oh, I don't know about you, but I don't like to be pushed, do you? But I do like to be led. And as Jesus descends to greatness, he says, what? Follow me. Follow me and I'll show you the way to be great. I'll show you what it means to lead. And not only, not only does Jesus go first, but he goes the farthest. He never asked to go farther down than he went. No, no, he goes the farthest. He goes the lowest. Um, how do you descend to greatness? We spend time with Jesus. You know what happens when we spend time looking at the one who didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom? From it? You know what happens? The Holy Spirit works in our heart. And says, isn't that the kind of leader you want to be? Isn't that the person you want to be? Isn't that how you want to lead? <laughs> you know what happens when I spend time with Jesus? I see the one who was rich, and yet for our sake he became poor, so that we through his poverty might become rich. And I want to do the same, don't you? You know what I see? I see Jesus taught the crowds, and I want to do the same, don't you? And he fed the hungry, and I want to do the same. And you know what he did? Man, he preached the gospel, and I want to do the same. And you know what he did? He washed his disciples' feet. It was the last night. You know what it says? He loved his own who were in the world, and he loved them to the own, to the end. And when I see Jesus, I want to do the same, don't you? Don't you want to love the people you love to the end, don't you? Huh. Do you know he washed Judas' feet? And then he gets on the cross, and even on the cross, while he's dying for our sin, he's still serving, right? I mean, what, hey, he looks at, hey, hey, John, take care of mom, right? Hey, hey, mom, don't worry, John's going to take care of you. Even on the cross, as he's bearing our sins, he's still winning people to faith in Christ, isn't he? He turns to the thief next to him and says, what, today you'll be with me in paradise. He served and served. That's who I want to be, don't you? And then he died, and then he rose. And you know what he said? Follow me, there's opportunities for greatness everywhere. 
Did you know there's opportunities for greatness everywhere? In our homes every day, in our church, there's opportunities everywhere in our community. Because you know what Jesus says? Every day in your home, you're going to see just what he saw in the upper room. You know what you're going to see? Proud hearts and dirty feet, right? It's true, isn't it? Jesus says, descend to greatness. Descend and wash their feet the way I washed yours. And then we go to our church. We go to our small group. What do we see? We see proud hearts, right, and dirty feet. And Jesus says, follow me down and wash their feet the way I've washed yours. And then he sends us out into the community. And everywhere we look, what do we see? Proud hearts and dirty feet. And Jesus says, come on, follow me. Imagine what would happen in our lives. Imagine what could happen in our homes, in our church. What, imagine what could happen in our community if each day this week we got up and had breakfast with the one who didn't come to be served but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And then as we head out, we were following Jesus because he said, follow me and I'll show you opportunities for greatness everywhere. Wow. Wouldn't you like to see what would happen if we descended to greatness like Jesus did? Let's pray. Jesus, we are so thankful you didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give your life a ransom for many. Thank you. And thank you for not staying dead, but rising. And thank you for offering us salvation. Listen, if you've never been saved, one day it's going to be too late. Don't wait until that day. I mean, Jesus is here. Won't you believe? Jesus, I've sinned against you and I'm sorry. And I believe you died on the cross for my sins and rose. And Jesus, I want you to come in and, and be my Savior and forgive me and give me eternal life. I want you to be Lord of my life Help me be the person you want me to be. Well, if you've done that for the first time, won't you mark that on your card? We'd love to celebrate with you. Jesus, thank you for moving in. Thank you for forgiving us. Thank you for giving us your spirit. Thank you for lifting us. Lord, lift all of us to that standard of, of being servant leaders like you are. Help us to lead ourselves. Help us to lead in our homes, in our church, in our community. Lord, if you're stirring men here to aspire to be elders and leaders in the church, Lord, move them to, to, to sign up for the elder pathway. Say, hey, I'd like to be equipped. I don't want to waste my life. Lord, I pray for all of us this week that we would descend to greatness, that we would get up and spend time with you, and then we would follow you into our homes and church and community. And wash the feet of others the way you wash ours. Thank you for inviting us to greatness. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen.